Hi everyone, this is JJ Hornblast and welcome to FinTech Unfiltered from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service for the banking and FinTech sector. This is our weekly wrap for what is happening in uh, FinTech during the week of September 28. Uh, I wanna thank Bank Innovation advertisers for their support uh, before we kick it off. And they are Blend, Mambu, and Q2E Banking. So thank you to them. And I'm pleased to be joined by uh, Rick Morgan and Bianca Chan um, from the Bank Innovation team. Hi to both of you. It is Friday, October 2, 2020 this week. President Trump and his wife Melania tested positive for COVID-19. COVID cases in New York are surging again, uh, with some counties reporting that cases have topped the all-important 3% of the total population mark for the first time since June. House Democrats on Friday passed a $3 trillion tax cut and spending bill aimed at addressing the economic fallout from the coronavirus outbreak, it is unlikely to get through the Senate, let alone the, House, the White House. And today marks the 70th anniversary of the first publication of a Peanuts cartoon. And I wonder what Charlie Brown would say about our current state of affairs. That is not the subject of our podcast today. Uh, what is, uh, or at least the start of our discussion, um, are difficulties around uh, predictive models. Um, the uh, coronavirus pandemic has created a disruption to the level where the predictive lending models that are being deployed um, are, are really, uh, it is unclear whether the accuracy of them. So um, as, as the, uh, uh, an executive from a firm said this week, evolving consumer spending, evolving payment behavior, government response, business operations changing based on shutdowns will, will continue to affect lending data or lending related data, I should say, and hence the predictive power of models. Everything will change in how we look at data and prediction in matters of days and weeks, not even months. So this degradation of lending models, Bianca, um, implies, I believe, climbing credit losses going forward for fintech lending companies. What's the sort of scope of implications of these, um, of these data shortcomings that companies like Affirm uh, and then even also like TransUnion are finding today? Yeah, so if we could use maybe a firm as a microcosm, um, and this, by the way, came from a, a panel discussion at the uh, Lend It Fintech USA 2020 conference that the virtual conference that went on this past week. But 
you know, it seemed as if everyone was kind of expecting um, repayment levels at a firm to uh, drop basically and for people to not be making their payments. And that turned out to not be the case, um, said their chief risk and strategy officer. Uh, the implications, I think, for fintechs, um, credit reporting agencies, and, and banks as well, is they're going to need to incorporate different forms of data that better reflect um, the state of people's financial um, standings, basically. I mean, I, we've talked about alternative data a lot. Uh, it's nothing new, but I think it's with COVID, it's going to become table stakes. Um, TransUnion uh, representative mentioned that they're working to integrate employment data and income data because uh, the, the sort of traditional data just won't cut it. As, as you said, the, the, they were forecasting 20 to 35% degradation in their, in their models um, that basically evaluate, you know, the likelihood that bad things will happen. Um, and the, the just sheer randomness that COVID has in its um, impact on people you know, the TransUnion representative brought up how dentists are losing their jobs, but based on traditional data, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be reflected. I mean, a firm had uh, uh, reined in its 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 lending its lending right as the as the coronavirus pandemic took hold. So they're extending less credit. Um, I mean, is it? You know, to what degree should there be an expectation that fintech lending companies are are really going to have to scale back on their uh, lending uh, just because you know you you the the degree of of confidence that they can have in their predictive models is not there. You don't even know whether tomorrow, I mean, today we had the, the, the president testing positive for COVID. Who knows what happens tomorrow? I mean, does that kind of put a damper on lending um, from the FinTech uh, channel, at least going forward in the forthcoming year, let's say? I'm not sure if we'll see oh, yeah. a concrete pullback in lending or, or, the, or extending credit. But I think what we will see and what a firm has done is they put in more safeguards into their decision process. They're asking for higher down payment. They are um, you know, shortening their loan terms. They, uh, so they, they put in these, these various sort of levers that they can kind of play around with as they see how the um, repayment uh, rate is. Yeah, so you so you've got that. I mean, that's their near term. Mm -hmm. So you would expect that. Um, I mean, they're they're just one. I mean, I, I would expect other lenders to be in a similar posture um, going through. So you know, I, I I just wonder what that does overall to the fintech lending space. Whether you know you've got the pro the prospect of kind of like overall lower originations um, because of this this kind of you know variance and and, um, uh, and and problems or or uncertainty I should say not problems you know within within their within their underwriting models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the way that they will um, the way that these loans 
play out right now, the ones that have been originated throughout the coronavirus pandemic, I think will play a role in how they originate loans like long term. Sure. As we saw throughout the yeah, throughout the earlier months, they kind of were clutching their pearls, you know, putting in these these safeguards in terms of the decisioning and, and now we're seeing them relax a little bit. So we'll see if that's the same case uh, for long term. And exactly why is that the case? I mean, is it that they've got enough near-term credit performance data that would allow them to do that? Or is it just that there is a certain sense of, of, uh, of stasis in terms of, you know, economic trends or, um, uh, or, or, or recession? Yeah, so I think it's the short-term sort of repayment volumes that they're seeing. And um, Sandeep Bandari, who's the chief risk and strategy yeah. officer, also mentioned that they're seeing a stronger applicant profile overall, higher average incomes. And, and so I, I think that's also playing a role. Yeah, I don't need to get into that. Okay, <laughs> so uh, the, the um, well, I will get into that because I think that that implies that um, it is the um, economically stressed that are simply not borrowing, that don't have the capacity to purchase. And that's why it's skewing towards, um, towards a higher credit uh, band. Um, but this kind of echoes to another point uh, that we wanted to talk through, which is, is kind of technology that is uh, oriented towards folks who, who may not have uh, the full financial wherewithal or, or are you know, considered underbanked. Um, Rick, you, talk, you uh, did a story this week about two um, such companies, Nova Credit and uh, Credo, Lend, Credo Lab, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, Based on the Singapore. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, just interesting. Exactly. In case anyone's going there <laughs> after the pandemic, um, the uh, tell us a little bit about why these um, two startups uh, deserve our attention now. Uh, well, they're doing something that fintechs have been promising to do for a while, which is you know deliver financial products to the hand uh, into the hands of underbanked consumers. Um, you know, it's a great mission, uh, but it's you know a lot of times it's easier said than done. Um, Credit Passport is really focused on a very specific subset of the underbanked population, um, newcomers to the U.S., immigrants. Uh, you know, a lot of immigrants when they come to the U.S. have a very robust credit profile in their home country, but they just can't access that uh, when they move to the States. Uh, and Nova Credit, through its Credit Passport um, product, has been able to transfer those credit scores into um, the U.S. Credit Bureau system so that uh, immigrants can actually access uh, their scores from back home, which is a pretty interesting uh, approach. They're, they're partnering with um, large institutions to do that. They have a partnership with American Express. Uh, and they really feel that partnering with these larger institutions can um, make the biggest, or, you know, have the biggest reach and have the biggest impact overall. And like we mentioned, uh, Credo Lab, which is based out of Singapore, again, um, they, uh, they really use um, smartphone data and web data to analyze consumer behavior and decide, you know, uh, what comes what comes across as risky, what comes across as responsible. Uh, they look at things like how many apps you use, what types of apps you use, uh, 
you know, whether or not you're scheduling lots of things at nights and weekends versus during the day, uh, what your calendar looks like, um, your rate of outgoing versus ingoing text messages. Uh, and they look at your web data, you know, how fast do you type? How long does it take you to type in your date of birth? Something you should know off the top of your head. How long does it take you to go from page one to page two? Um, and on mobile data alone, they have about 50,000 different data points that they use. Uh, and they have risk modeling to predict what's going to be a risky behavior consumer and what's going to be um, a non-risky uh, piece of behavior to sort of provide um, credit scores that go beyond traditional credit bureaus uh, and the data that, you know, the, the big credit bureaus here in the States use. I mean, this is, you're, you're kind of getting into how they operate, um, but why is this, you know, what is the, the need for, the underbanked, like what specific technology do they need? Well, I think they, they need data that will um, go beyond what we have available with the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus do a lot of things well, but you know, a lot of consumers are just left behind by them uh, and they're unable to crack into the financial system. And you know, a lot of alternative data that they talk about in the States is transactional data. Uh, you know, um, what are you doing with your money? And that's a new way that's, you know, relatively new to, to underwrite people. And that's great, but a lot of underbanked consumers can't even open a bank account. So that does them nothing. So they need something else to show that, hey, I'm a responsible person. I've, you know, uh, I might not have ever had a chance to prove that yet. And I might not have a credit file, uh, but just the fact that I can't open a bank account and can't get a loan doesn't mean that I'm not gonna be responsible with that money. So they need something that they already use on a day-to-day -day basis to show that, hey, I'm a, I'm a responsible consumer, you can trust me with a loan. Why do you think that this is going to make a kind of a dent now? I mean, just like what we were, Bianca and I were talking about, what well, three of us were talking about, right? In yeah. terms of uh, a firm and, and, um, and the, the, the challenges facing lenders, uh, yes, sure. So you've, you're, you're able to provide a, a sort of deeper data profile of the underbank consumers, but if there isn't necessarily the risk appetite um, to go there, do the, you know, to what degree do the tools matter? Well, I think it's also important to note that a firm, uh, you know, has a pretty specific um, business model with the buy now, pay later. Uh, obviously, they're branching out into other things, but um, they have a pretty niche business, um, at least as of now. Like I said, they are trying to branch out, but the buy now, pay later space is pretty interesting, but kind of its own little beast. Um, I think that the reason it's interesting, and I think it's going to make start making a dent now, is just because the technology is, A, getting better to the point where it can actually underwrite people more accurately. Um, so I think that that's going to make a bigger bigger impact. And also, you know, we are coming out of a recession. Um, people are going to need capital uh, and people are going to need tools to get them back on their feet. I mean, this, when this is all said and done and the economy sort of stabilizes, um, there's no reason that underbanked consumers who, you know, have weathered the storm uh, should be left behind still once it's all said and done. Is there any indicate? I mean, we look, uh, there's been talk about uh, fintechs serving the underbank since since the beginning of fintech, like oh nine, you know, at least ten years. Um, so, 
Is there any indication that, that, they, that a dent has been made? Is there any indication that that population does have more banking services? And, and, and it's not just that they have banking services, that they, that they have access to banking services that are not predatory. I think it's a good question, and I, I wish I had better data on this. Um, you know, I think that, and this is just my own sort of hypothesis, I don't know how, you know, but I think um, there's a big emphasis on like B2B right now, you know, like direct-to-consumer startups, um, there's still a lot of them and there's still some of them are doing great, but you know, the B2B kind of atmosphere is, it's, it's a lot hotter right now. People kind of want to partner with financial institutions uh, and financial institutions, um, you know, social good and uh, social responsibility, uh, corporate social responsibility is becoming a bigger piece of their uh, business plan. And so they want to reach these underbanked consumers to show that they're doing good and the startups want to partner with them to help them. Um, so I think going through that, that route will make a bigger impact. Um, I think the direct to consumer model can still make it make a difference. You know, you have startups like, you know, LendUp, MoneyLion, um, uh, even Marcus by Goldman Sachs, which is not exactly a fintech startup, but nevertheless, you know, digital banking options that can reach these underbanked consumers. But I, I think that this new emphasis on let's partner with banks and go through them to get our product in the hands of a lot more people a lot faster and scale it up. Um, I think that is going to probably have a bigger impact now that that's becoming sort of in vogue. Yeah, and I, if I can add, if you look at um, other kind of alternative lenders in the space, so two that come to mind are auto lenders, um, LendBuzz and Tricolor. If you look at their origination volumes, they're growing two digit, or sorry, um, you know, three triple digit, double digit, double digit yeah, not two digit. <laughs> um, and it's it's just insane. So if if we were trying to gauge, you know, how much of this untapped market is getting um, serv serviced, we can just look to the lenders that kind of specialize in the space. And right. then to your earlier point about, um, you know, whether there is the risk appetite there, I think that the mission of these fintechs um, and these vendors is to show that it's not they're not such risky borrowers. <laughs> Right. Right. I understand. I understand. Um, this week, Rick, you published the 31 best taglines in financial services now. Yeah. Now, why, how you came up with the number 31, I don't know. That's not for our discussion right now. Okay. Which, uh, Bianca, Rick, which was is your favorite tagline? Uh, my favorite, and this is not going to be a popular choice, but mine was uh, Huntington Bank, which was just welcome. And that was it. No I way. Thought it was simple and to the point. That was mine too, actually. Oh, really? okay. <laughs> I think maybe there was something about it that kind of stood out. Um, Klarna's too, I thought was funny. I'm going to butcher it, but it was something about, you know, yeah. the Swedish way. Swedish, <laughs> Swedish like, for smooth uh, shopping. Yes, that's right. Um, I, I thought that, I, I think I'm kind of old schoolish about it. And my favorite was uh, Visas. Still, everywhere you want to be, I think is, mm. uh, is a very good tagline. And, and does anyone want to share their least favorite? tagline 
Uh, I don't want to make any enemies now, but I mean, I, I thought that this as Wells Fargo was a little bit bizarre. It, it kind of, it, at first I thought it was uh, just a little bit bland, but I mean, I guess they are kind of trying to move on from some of the, the past incidents and, and scandals. So um, I think that's maybe just them trying to reinvent themselves and say, hey, this is like a new version of us. So I think in context, it sort of makes more sense. But at the first reading, I was like, a little weird, but. Um, Bianca? You know, I'm trying to remember uh, what Allies was because I remember reading it. I was not that interested. And I think the fact that I can't even remember it. Uh, right. <laughs> right. I, think right. Correct, I think the correct answer is Rick. Um, what is, what do we have, uh, Rick's answer is the best. What, what do we have, um, coming up next week, guys? Uh, we'll, we'll be taking a look at, uh, new technology and, uh, innovative methods in wealth management. Yeah, we're also going to look at, uh, there was a hearing, um, this week about the future of sort of like bank charters, um, the OCC host, I believe the OCC hosted it. Um, talking about the, you know, the industrial loan charter and the specialty fintech, uh, fintech charter that has, you know, had its problems in court. Um, so we're going to be talking to some experts about what we can expect to see there moving forward, given that uh, hearing. Good. Okay. Thank you. And thank you all so much for visiting with us. Um, please rate us on your podcast platform and email us at info at bankinnovation.net. And of course, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and, uh, and, and please uh, join us on bankinnovation.net for more news and analysis. Uh, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.